let me, let me ask you this question. When we talk about a good life, what does a good life look like to you? When you start thinking about, okay, what's a good life? What does a good life look like to you? Because honestly, when I start thinking about the good life, like I always think about the ads that you might see online or in a newspaper where you've got this, this, this couple, they're sitting uh, in a beach chair on some Caribbean or Hawaiian island, and they've got a fruity drink in their hand with a little umbrella, and they're just kicking back. Like that sounds like just a good life. Uh, what is a good life for you? Maybe for you, you're like, the good life is losing this area right around here, or maybe some of this area. Uh, maybe for you, the good life is, uh, what is a good life for you? Uh, at times, I think within our life, we get a glimpse of what the good life is. So for me, I had the chance to take a couple of weeks off, not a couple of weeks off, had a couple of days off, and I got to stay home with my family, and it was, for me, it was a glimpse of the good life. Because I'm home and my wife and I, we've got some projects we're working on, some things we're doing together. And it was amazing. Like our, our communication was just good and clear. Uh, we, were, we were working together on these things. And we just, man, it felt, we, we felt so connected. And that was so good. And the kids were home. And they're playing games together. And they're getting along. And they're not fighting. And I'm like, man, this is so good. And, and we have all these things going on. In fact, even last Sunday, we sat down together with my boys. And we watched the Seahawks game. I know the Seahawks last, lost last week. But it was so fun for me to sit with my boys and yell at the TV together. Like, it was just, that is the good life for me. And then suddenly... After a couple of days of this, suddenly, I was reminded, oh yeah, I've got a bunch of work I've got to get caught up on. And then suddenly the kids, after they spent all this time together, eventually they start bickering with one another and fighting over the, those games that they were playing so well together. Eventually, I reminded myself, oh yeah, we've got that car that broke down, I've got to deal with that. Eventually, those bills started coming in, and all those Christmas presents and all those things started piling up, and all of a sudden I realized... Man, something's changed. And so this is where we want to process through what does a good life look like? Because when we start looking into a new year, it's the time that we naturally begin to make some choices. We make some resolutions. We make some decisions about how we can pursue more of the good life in this next year. And listen, I think that's good and that's right for us to do. It's good for us to have this time where we're reflecting on, man, how can I Make improvements. In fact, for me, like, I'm so excited. Like, I'm already, like, I'm 100% on my Bible reading plan. Like, like, that, come on. Five days in, I'm 100%. I haven't missed a day. Like, how many of you, you're, you're, how many of you are 100% on your diet? Like, praise God for that. How many of you have been to the gym more than once? Like, praise God for that. Like, this is a good time for us to, to think about this. But as we think about creating the good life. I want us to understand that good life is not something that we create on our own. And that even though we get these glimpses of the good life, the good life is not something that we can force or we can create on our own. Jesus actually said in John chapter 20, or excuse me, John chapter 10, Jesus says that I came to give life and I came to give abundant life. Jesus says I came to give you good life. And so this month, we're going to be in a sermon series uh, called The Good Life. And it's the opportunity where as we naturally begin to think about resolutions and think about choices that we can make to pursue more of the good life right here and right now, I want us to understand that the good life is rooted in the idea that when we seek after God, 
when we seek his wisdom and his plans, that he promises to give us the good life. That doesn't mean the absence of hard things. But that means that God gives us this peace that passes all understanding. That he can take our life and make it so, just so full of joy that it becomes the good life. I'll tell you, next week, this is where we're going next week. It's going to be great. Like, let's just, I want you to be honest with yourself. Raise your hand here. How many of you are a control freak? It's okay. You can raise your hand. There's a few control freaks in here. All right. Listen, I am so excited for, for next week. Listen, I know you control freaks, you're actually thinking about grabbing the person's hand next to you to lift their hand up too, because that's what control freaks do, right? Next week, I am so excited because we're going to deal with this idea that we choose to surrender. We choose surrender over control. We choose surrender to God over us trying to control everything. And let me tell you what, this is going to be one of those things. I encourage you, control what time you get here. Come sit on the front row, because I think God's going to really speak to some of us that deal with our anxiety and deal with our stress over trying to control things. But today, today, what we're going to talk about is, is I'm going to challenge us to choose purpose over desire. I'm going to have a conversation today that, that we would choose God's purposes over our own desires. And here's the problem. I think many of us, the opposite is, is true. I think for many of us, we choose our desires over the purposes that God has for us. I don't know why we do that. Actually, I have some ideas about why we do that. I think one of the reasons why we, we choose our desires over God's purposes is because sometimes we aren't very clear about what our purpose is. Because if we don't know the purpose of a thing, man, it leads to us often misusing it, right? If you don't know the purpose for something, it leads to us misusing it. So, for example, when I was in high school, I have a sister who is uh, six years older than I am. Six years old. She had a baby when I was in high school. So she's 23 or married or I don't know where she was in life. She's older than I am. She had a baby and I loved being Uncle Kevin. Like I loved kids way back then. And, and so my sister, she says, hey, I've got to go, whatever moms need to do. They need to get out of the house, right? She's like, I need to go to the grocery store. Can you come and watch Natasha for me? She's sleeping. Can you just come and hang out at the house and watch Natasha while I go to the store? And I'm like, great, I can do this. So I show up to her house and I'm kind of like, baby's asleep. This is kind of boring. So I I'm looking around at all the toys. I found this really cool toy. This is a sweet little toy. It's a little ball, and, and it has a little snout on it. And what happens is, is with that ball, when you, when you squeeze that ball, it shoots air out. And I'm like, man, this is fun. So I'm shooting air out. I'm, I'm just seeing what can happen. And then I found out when you let go of the ball, it sucks air back in. So I'm sitting here, and I've got my Dr. Pepper, and I'm like, man, I'm going to have some fun. I, I, I squeeze the air into my Dr. Pepper, and it bubbles up. I'm like, that's cool. And then I suck the Dr. Pepper back into this ball, and I'm like, check this out. Whoosh, all the way up and back down into my mouth. It was amazing. Like, I had, I had like two feet of distance. I was awesome. And then my sister comes home. I'm going to throw up on my mouth a little bit. My sister comes home and says, hey, um, what are you doing with the baby snot, snot, snot sucker called a nasal aspirator that you put this up a baby's nose and it sucks out the gook? <laughs> if we don't know the purpose of a thing, 
we can misuse it. (laughs) And I think there's many of us who struggle knowing what our purpose is in our lives. That we don't, we can't be clear as to, well, well, what is my purpose? And I I don't want you to think, I don't want you to think, well, um, because what happens is, here's the thing, is when we don't know our purpose, what do we do? We begin to ask around. And let me ask you this. Does it make sense for us to ask a thing what its purpose is? Or does it make sense for us to ask the creator of the thing, hey, what's the purpose? It would make more sense for us to ask the creator, hey, what did you create this for? What is the purpose of this thing? Instead of asking the thing itself, hey, what's your purpose? But so oftentimes what we do, I mean, this is where I'm a thing, and you're a thing. And when we're not clear about our purpose, what do we do? We start talking to one another, hey, what do you think my purpose is? What is the purpose of this life? Why are we here? Why do we exist? And we get all sorts of of answers. People say, well, our purpose, uh, your purpose is to be true to yourself. Your purpose is to to liberate yourself. Your purpose is, is to do whatever makes you happy. That's your purpose. And so sometimes we start talking to other created things and say, what do you think my purpose is? Or... We begin to ask ourselves, what do I, why do I think I'm created? What is my purpose? And we look within ourselves. We look within ourselves and we have these desires. We have these desires that are within our heart. They're not bad in and of themselves, but they're never meant to become our purpose. And soon, those desires, they become ultimate in our life, and we allow them to become our purpose. So, for example, if, if you were to desire wealth, it's not wrong to have money. But if, if, if the, the desire for wealth becomes ultimate, if that becomes your purpose, then at all costs you're going to do whatever you can to accomplish that. That means you're going to begin to sacrifice other things that are more important because you've allowed something that isn't your purpose to become your purpose. You're misusing the life that God has given you. That's where power, maybe you desire power. And I would say leaders are important. We all need leaders in different areas of our life. But the, the, the potential when, desire, when the desire for power becomes ultimate, becomes the purpose you exist, is oftentimes that can lead to someone who has no accountability. That can lead to someone who dominates the people around them and abuses them because it's all about power. That's where maybe for you, again, the desire for comfort. Desire for comfort is not bad. But... If it is the ultimate thing, then what do we do? We begin to seek comfort in places we shouldn't find comfort in. That's how it works. Now, I know some of us in here right now, as I talk about desire, some of you are saying, well, there's nothing wrong with my desires. There's nothing wrong for me to desire influence. You're right. And Kevin, there's nothing wrong with me desiring companionship and desire to feel loved. And I'll be like, you're right. But here's here's the thing. This is why our desires can be dangerous. Because Jeremiah 17.9, Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. And then Jeremiah says, who can know it? Who can understand it? Who can trust it? He's saying, our heart, it is, it is tainted towards sin. It is broken. And he says what happens is because our heart is tainted by sin, that we take something that is good, we take a desire for companionship, and without realizing it, our heart takes it to places it should not go. 
that our heart takes a good thing and takes it and makes it an ultimate thing and confuses us about our purpose, confuses us about why we exist, and allows that thing to become ultimate. And it's just like drinking Dr. Pepper out of a snot ball. So for example, in your heart, you may desire peace. I love peace. I desire peace. But sometimes when you desire peace enough, it causes you to be unwilling to confront the wrongs around you. Even though they need to be addressed, you are unwilling to confront them because peace is ultimate to you. Maybe for you, comfort. Your desire is comfort. There's nothing wrong with comfort, but oftentimes we can then seek comfort in the wrong places, whether that be through alcohol or, or pornography or any other area that we would find comfort in the wrong place. A desire to be loved. Many of us have this desire. We want to be loved. But again, that, that, that what happens is our heart begins to taint that desire. Our heart can taint that desire. And to lead us to, to finding sex outside of marriage because that's how I feel loved. Or it can lead us to being in a relationship that we know isn't right. We know the person isn't right for us, but I have this such strong desire to be in love that I'm going to choose the wrong thing. Maybe for you it's a desire for uh, attention and affirmation. And that can lead you to posting to social media and then freaking out because you don't have enough likes. You don't have enough people interacting with your social media post. This is where some of us, we have a desire to succeed. And that's a good desire. But when that desire to succeed becomes ultimate, it can lead to us cutting corners and cheating to accomplish our success. Maybe we desire wealth. Again, money is not a bad thing in itself until it leads us to, to look down uh, on those who have less than we do. When that desire for wealth uh, causes us to sacrifice decency in order for us to show our status and our wealth. Honestly, ask yourself that question. What is that desire in you? What is the desire in you that your heart and Satan begins to twist in your own mind leading you to compromise your convictions? Or maybe, what is the desire in you that becomes ultimate in your life? For me, I've shared this before, I think my desire is I desire acceptance and affirmation. Partly, some of my hang-ups from when I was growing up, but I have this, this, this deep desire to be accepted and to be affirmed. And that's not a bad thing, except oftentimes when it's left unchecked, it can lead me to compromise my convictions because I want to be affirmed. It can lead me to be silent when I should speak because, well, I'd rather have the affirmation. It can lead me to begin to perform, perform for, for people instead of performing for God. Again, there's this desire in my heart that can lead me down places I should not go because our hearts are tainted by sin. And this is a problem with desire left by itself is that our hearts are wicked. And they can lead us astray. This is why Jeremiah said, who can know it? Who can trust their heart? You can't. You can't trust your heart. And so we start living for these desires, and, and they keep us from living for the purposes of God because we become consumed with ourselves. We get consumed with, with trying to make ourselves happy and make ourselves feel good that we forget God. We forget the fact that God wants to give us not just good life, but abundant life. This is why we're having a conversation about choosing purpose over desire. 
I know the question becomes, well, well what's my purpose? I mean, if I'm choosing purpose over that, what, what, what's the purpose? And there's, there's a lot of ways we can answer that question. And I think I want to, I don't want to talk about your specific purpose in life. We'll get to that here in a little bit. I want to talk maybe, maybe more in general, like, like what is our general purpose? In fact, our text today, Mark chapter 8, um, Derek read for us this morning. That verse 34 says, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and circle those words, follow me. Follow me. Very simply, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to follow him. In fact, when you read through the, uh, the, the gospel accounts, over 22 times, at least 22 times, Jesus says these exact words, follow me, follow me, follow me. Our purpose, as simple as I can make it, is that we would follow him. That we would love the way that he loved. That we would live the way that he lived. Listen, today, the choice I want you to make is to choose purpose over desire. That we would be people that would stand up at the end of the day and say, I choose God's purposes over my desires. And now the question becomes, well, how do I do that? How do I make the choice not to be misled by my desires but to be devoted to God's purposes in my life. And that's why we are looking at Mark chapter 8 today. In Mark chapter 8, just a little bit of context, the disciples and, and the people around Jesus, you see this throughout the Gospels, where people are really wrestling with this question, who is Jesus? People wrestled with it. King Herod wrestled with this. Disciples, the Pharisees, they wrestled with this idea, who is Jesus? In fact, it's still a question that people still wrestle with today. Who is Jesus? Was Jesus a good teacher? Was he a good example? Who is Jesus? And so Jesus, he's hanging out with his disciples. They're outside a village. And Jesus asks them, verse 27, he says, listen, who do the people say that I am? Disciples are like, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you are Elijah the prophet. And others, they say you're just one of the prophets. Now you look at these responses, all of those people are important people. I mean, John the Baptist, Elijah, like they're important people. But it's not enough just that Jesus is a prophet. And so Jesus asks them a more pointed question. He says, okay, okay, okay. Not just the other people. He asks you individually. He says, disciples, who do you say that I am? In fact, this is a question that every one of us need to wrestle with. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your friend? Is he a good teacher? Is he an example for you to learn from? Listen, all those things are good. But it's not enough just to be your friend or a good teacher. Look how Peter answers. Peter says, you are the Christ. That term Christ is the Greek term for the Hebrew word of uh, Messiah which means the anointed one, which means that Jesus, as the Christ, as a Messiah, he is a king above all other kings. He is, there is no one, no other higher ruler other than Christ. He is the one on top. He is the one on the throne. He's the one that everyone else is set apart against. And listen, if we're going to understand our purpose, if we're going to understand that we are to follow him we're never going under, to understand and be able to fully do that until we figure this question out about who Jesus is. Because honestly, 
you and I, we're not going to change our life. We're not going to change our, how we live for a friend. We're not going to surrender our plans and surrender our life to a good teacher, a good example. Jesus is not just our friend. He's not just our teacher. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's a Savior. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is a Christ. Jesus is God on a rescue mission to redeem us from sin. Jesus is God who came to redeem us from our sinful desires. Jesus is God on a rescue mission to rescue us from the grasp of Satan and sin and death and hell. That is who Jesus is. Listen, every one of us needs to wrestle with this idea, who is Jesus to you? Do you know him as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the King of Kings? Because if we don't know him that way, if he's just your friend, if he's just your example, if he's just a teacher, if he's just a prophet, listen, we will never experience the presence and the peace and the good life that he promised to us. In fact, maybe this is why you are here today. Maybe God is trying to get your attention. He's trying to reveal himself to, to you so you would know who he is. In fact, maybe for you, maybe this is one of the things you really need to struggle and wrestle with today. That I need to determine who is Jesus. Because how you see him will change how you respond to him. Because I don't think we follow just a friend anywhere. I don't think that we give our life just to a good teacher. I think we have to understand him for who he is. He is the Christ. And when we get that clear, man, then it's a lot easier for us to understand our purpose. Rest of the time today, I want to wrestle with how do we choose God's purpose over our desires? Because I think in this text, Jesus gives us three clear steps, three ways that we can, to help us choose God's purposes over our desires. The first one, again, look at verse 34. It says, Jesus, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, anyone who would come after me, okay, when he says, anyone who would come after me, everyone who would pursue me, who would pursue the good life, who would pursue the abundant life, anyone who would find their purpose, he says, anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself. Step, step number one, we have to be people who are willing to deny ourselves. In fact, I would say this, to some sense, I think self-denial is at the very heart of what Christianity is all about. That self-denial is, to some sense, at the very heart of what Christianity is all about. Because what is, what is perhaps one of the chief struggles that we deal with in our life when we look at our faith? It's a royalty issue. The chief, if chief issue we struggle with is it's a royalty issue, Right? Because we want to be the kings and the queens of our own life. We want to be on the throne. We want to, we want to uh, control where we're going. We want to be in the driver's seat. We want to call our own shots. We want to chart our own course. We want to be independent and make decisions for ourselves and not have to listen to somebody else tell us, here's how you should live. It's a royalty issue. We want to be on the throne. When you begin to think through some of the struggles in your life, how many of them come because 
You want to be the one that calls the shots, and you want someone else to tell you how to live. You don't want someone else to tell you how you should behave, how you should act. But the fact is, when we become a Christian, that part of becoming a Christian is acknowledging what Peter acknowledged. Acknowledging that Jesus, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the king above all other kings. And guess what? That includes me. That he's a king above all other kings, and that includes you. And that for us to become a Christian, it is allowing Jesus onto the throne of our own lives. And if Jesus is on the throne of our lives, chances are there's going to be times when we disagree. Chances are there's going to be times where Jesus says, here's how you live. We're like, but I want to go this way. And that's when we have a choice to make. It's a royalty issue. Who are we going to allow to be the Christ? Is it me or is it Jesus? Because if it's Jesus, there's going to be times that we have to deny ourselves. An example of what this looks like. Moses, a guy who lived in the Old Testament. Uh, you've heard of him. You're familiar with him. The author of Hebrews, he, he wrote about Moses. And I love, I love this. Moses, you know the story? Moses was born a Hebrew slave. He was born a Hebrew slave, but essentially was adopted into the family of Pharaoh. And so here he is, he's born in poverty, he's born in, born in slavery, and then he is adopted and finds himself living amongst lavish wealth and extravagance and royalty. Now, how many of us are saying, man, that'd be awesome. Like, that sounds like the good life to me. That sounds wonderful to me. I, I'll sign me up any day. And Moses, he could have chosen to remain right there. He could have chosen to live a life of ease and comfort. But Hebrews 11 verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose, listen to that word, he chose, he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered uh, disgrace for the sake of Christ, Christ as a greater value than all of the treasures in Egypt. And why would he make that choice? Why would he choose to deny himself and suffer? Because he was looking ahead to the reward. That he wasn't just living for the right here and the right now. He wasn't living for that moment. That there was that temporary satisfaction that wasn't as valuable to him because he was looking ahead to the future. He was thinking about the reward that was going to come. He was living for tomorrow. He was living to say, listen, God promised me abundant life. He promised me the good life. And he chose God's good life versus the temporary pleasures of sin. He chose to deny himself in order to remain faithful to God. So that doesn't mean it wasn't a struggle. We know the story. There was a lot of struggles. But there was a peace and a joy and a good life from God that was offered that was more valuable to him. Listen, you're not going to find peace and joy in the good life from seeking it yourself. There's going to be times that we have to deny, deny ourselves things that would challenge our allegiance and our faithfulness to God and his kingdom. That if we want to find good life, if we want the good life this year, that we have to be willing to deny ourselves the things that would challenge our allegiance and our faithfulness to God. Some of you, as you start thinking about this year, man, you're just like Moses. You've got a choice to make. 
Who's going to be on the throne of your life? Who is really the Christ? Is it you or is it Jesus? You claim to love and follow God. Will you actually allow your life to show it? Are you willing to deny yourself of the things that challenge your faithfulness to God? Are you willing to deny yourself maybe that wrong relationship that you know is wrong in order for you to remain faithful to God? Are you willing to deny yourself revenge and anger because God tells us to forgive? What is it you need to deny this year in order for you to remain faithful to God? Listen, if we're going to find the good life, if we're going to choose purpose over desire, we have to be willing to be people who deny ourselves of the things that challenge and question our faithfulness to God. Number two, Jesus, he told us, he said, deny yourself. And the second thing he says, he says, take up your cross. Take up your cross. Luke tells the same exact story, but Luke says it a little differently. Luke says, take up your cross daily. This idea that every day there's this taking up of the cross. What does it mean for us to take up the cross? What does it mean for us to pick up our cross and follow Jesus? Very simply put, taking up a cross means that we are ready to bear afflictions in this life. It means that we're, we're, we're willing to go through difficult times in order to remain faithful to him. What is the cross? The cross, back in Jesus' day, it was an instrument of death. The cross meant the death penalty. In fact, Jesus, we just read this, Jesus told his disciples, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to suffer. I, I'm, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And Jesus says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to do the same, to pick up your cross, to suffer if you're going to remain faithful to him. Honestly, when I think about this idea of denying ourselves, in our modern age, maybe that's the closest thing to heresy. Because we live in this self-indulgent age. We live in this age, and we're told constantly in the media and other places, hey, just follow your heart. Don't deny yourself. Do whatever feels right. Be true to who you are. But if we choose God's purposes over our own desires, there's going to be times that we, there's going to be times that we do things that we don't want to do. There's going to be times that we have to suffer in order to remain faithful to him. And why do we do that? Because like Moses, we're looking ahead to a greater reward. Then when we choose to live for purpose and not desires, that there's times that becomes difficult. And like Jesus said, we pick up our cross. We are almost daily willing to follow him regardless of the difficulty that we're going to face. Let me tell you, man, you know, I'm a pastor. I love what I do. I love what I, some, some people are like, well, of course you love what you do. You work one day a week. You're a pastor, right? Man, I, it brings me so much joy to, to be a part of this church. I, I love seeing God at work amongst our people, in our city, in our church. But I've shared this before. Honestly, uh, man, this pastor gig is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. The hardest thing I've ever done. The, the burden that you carry as you love the church is immense. It is, it is a weight that I never understood until I got into this role. There's a pain that comes from difficult relationships. 
There's a pain you feel when there's people that you've loved and cared for and prayed for. When you see them begin to walk away. You see them choose a life of sin instead of being remaining faithful. Man, I've shared this as well. I've never known anxiety until I became a pastor. In fact, I, a couple years ago, man, I really began to wonder, like, what other skills do I have? Is there anything else I can do? And for your encouragement, I don't have any other skills. This is what I got. I'm not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. I remember I was going through this, and, and I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice that I chose purpose over desire. I chose purpose over desire. I chose to pick up my cross, to bear the affliction that comes with this role in order for me to remain faithful to God. And I'll tell you what, that's where the good life is found. That as hard as this role can be, man, I have felt such peace and joy in seeing God at work right here. And that comes from a a faithfulness to him. A a choice to pick up my cross no matter what happens and remaining faithful to what God has for me. See, the good life, the good life is not the absence of hard things. We get this so confused. We think, well, the good life is sitting on the beach and drinking those fruity drinks. And there's no hard things. No, the good life is not the absence of hard things. The good life is found in our faithfulness. When God gives us a peace that passes all understanding. When God, regardless of our circumstances, he gives us this joy that doesn't make sense to anybody else. He gives us this courage, this, this, this feeling of, man, this is amazing. And this is what happens when we pick up our cross. Listen, what is, what is this for you? Listen, are you willing to pick up your cross in order to remain faithful to God? Maybe for you, maybe, maybe for you, you're trying to get out of debt. God said, hey, I want you to be free from debt. So maybe you're working to get out of debt. And so you show up at work and what happens? People start making fun of you. Hey, look, you're bringing a brown bag sack to lunch again? Look at you driving that little hoopty car. Like, man, can't you get a nicer car? That's where we pick up our cross. We bear the burden and say, you know what? I'm going to remain faithful, regardless of what people around me say. Maybe for you it's a decision, man, I'm going to remain pure in my relationships. I'm going to wait to have sex until I am married. Everybody around you starts saying, well, man, you're so old-fashioned. You're such a prude. Come on, everybody's doing it. Come on, we live in this enlightened age. Do whatever you want. No one can tell you what to do or not to do. That's when you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to pick up my cross because I have a higher calling. I have a higher purpose, and I have chosen purpose over desire. I have a vision of something greater. I have a promise from my Savior of, of, of a good life that is to come, of abundant life. Maybe for you, you start looking, and marriage is hard. Isn't marriage? Marriage is this beautiful thing that can be difficult in times. And maybe for you, Picking up your cross is remaining faithful to your spouse that you vowed before. You vowed before God to love, honor, and cherish as long as you both shall live. And so maybe for you, picking up your cross is choosing to continue to love your spouse, to encourage and remain faithful to your spouse even when you don't feel like it, even when it becomes difficult and hard. Maybe for you, Picking up your cross means that you need to forgive someone who's wronged you, even though they don't deserve it. Because again, what does Scripture tell us to do? 
forgive. How many times do we forgive? 70 times 7. That's a big number. 500 some odd times. Here's Jesus. If we're going to choose purpose over desire, number one, we have to be willing to deny ourselves. Number two, we have to pick up our cross. And number three, Jesus says that we follow him. And I would say that means that we need to be faithful to him in the small things. Sometimes when we start talking about purpose, people begin to struggle on, well, well, I, I just, you know, I don't know my purpose. You know, like, like the capital P, big purpose, the reason I exist. You know, I, I think about kids, you're like, man, I'm 15, I'm just trying to pass algebra. Like, I don't know why I exist, I don't know my purpose. Maybe, maybe for some of you, your purpose, you know, you feel like God's calling you to, to be a missionary somewhere. Maybe God's calling you to cure cancer. God's calling you to go into this field of work and do these sorts of things. That's great. But right now, just for a moment, I don't want you to think about that capital P, like like big purpose, that one big thing for your life. I want you to think about the lowercase p, the the, the little day after day, little moments. Those opportunities that we have to be faithful to God in the little everyday moments, and the little everyday purposes that God puts in our life. Because honestly, when we're talking about following him, Man, there's times that there's those big grand things that he gives us. But I think the reality, most of us, we struggle in this. We're just following God for the everyday purposes that he puts in front of us. I mean, I'd throw this in, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, some Pharisees, uh, they're talking to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to figure out purpose. What are we here for? And Jesus, his response is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus just said, listen, listen, here's the most important thing, that you love God and love people. So I would say that if we're going to follow him, that as we're going through the day, that we are making constant decisions, man, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to remain faithful in the small things. So when you're going through your day and you're talking to someone, you're in a conversation with them and you begin to recognize, man, listen, I think God's purpose for me right now is that I'm supposed to encourage this person. I'm supposed to be a voice of hope in this person's life. That we would not look at this big, grand, capital P purpose, but we would look at this very moment right here, right now. That this is God's purpose for me. That I would be a voice of hope in this person's life. That you are walking around, you meet someone, and and you find they have a need. And then you begin to realize, man, look, this person has a financial need, their car broke down, whatever else. I'm in a position that, that I, could, I could take care of that need. And your purpose in that moment may not, be to, may not to be go be a missionary and go cure cancer. Your purpose in that moment is to remain faithful to what God has placed you in and to meet that very simple need right in front of you. That's where for you, you've got that psycho boss. Jake knows all about it. You've got a boss that's just a psycho. You've got a teacher that's a psycho. Maybe... Again, this may not be your capital P, big purpose in the whole life. But in those little day-by-day, moment-by-moment type of situations, maybe your purpose right then and there is to pray for the psycho boss and to pray for the psycho teacher. Because what happens is as we decide to to follow him, as we decide to remain faithful in those little purposes, moment-by-moment, over and over and over again, 
This is what Paul calls walking in the Spirit. That we become in tune to what God has for us. That as we remain faithful in those little moments that we begin to see where God wants us to be involved. And God uses us. God uses us to help here. God uses us to help there. God uses us to help this person. God uses us to help that per- person. And we remain faithful to God in those little everyday moments. Then one day, when we're faithful with, with enough of these lowercase, just moment by moment things, we begin to recognize, man, look, God is beginning to trust me with way more than I could ever imagine. God's given me opportunities I never saw before. Because if you are faithful in following God in the small moments, God will trust you with those bigger things. And over time, they start to grow. You begin to recognize, man, here's that capital P purpose of why I was created. Because I've been faithful in these small things, and God has revealed to me this capital P, why I exist. Listen, Restoration Church, I love y'all. I love what God is going to do this year. I'm so excited for where God is going to lead us. And it's my prayer for us. It's our, my prayer and my desire that we would make decisions today, that we would make resolutions, that we would make a choice, that we would be people that stand up and say, I choose God's purposes over my desires. In fact, my prayer today is that you would be convinced that Jesus isn't just your friend. That Jesus isn't just a good teacher. That Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That he deserves to be on the throne of your life. I'm praying that today that you would make a choice to deny yourself of the things that would question your faithfulness to God. To deny yourself of things that would lead you away from where God would want you to be. I'm praying that you would make the choice to pick up your cross, to remain faithful to him even if you struggle, even if you get made fun of, even if it's difficult and hard, that you would choose to remain faithful to him. And I'm praying that you would make the choice to follow God and be faithful to him in those everyday moments this week. God put someone in your path. Man, here's a purpose for me to be a voice of hope, to encourage, to speak life. And I'm praying that as we choose God's purposes over our own desires, I'm praying that God would give us more of his presence. I'm praying that God would give you more of his peace. And I'm praying that God would give you more of that good life. Let's pray.